So hopefully everybody should have an outline. The outline should say courage, fulfilling God's purposes for your life. Courage, fulfilling God's purposes for your life. As I've been walking with the Lord these years, I've found out that more and more courage is so incredibly important for me and for all of us, I think. It's just another word for faith, but it has a certain aspect to it, you know, especially when we're threatened or we just don't feel uh, very, very bold, right? Well, how many of you know that the Bible is very, very bold, not only in terms of what God does for us, but what God wants us to be in terms of ministering to the world? Sometimes that can be a little uh, disconcerting. And if you really actually look at the subject, you find out that uh, this is really high on God's list. He wants you to be a lot of things. But one of the top ones on the list is courageous. And it takes a lot of courage, I think, to live in the life that we live, and uh, in this time uh, especially. And one thing as I move along here, I just wanted to mention to you all, if you ever run out of, oh, what would they, they say at church, what, they, what was that thing? It's all in your bulletin as well, the ones things that you can get. So if you miss something, you can always get there and get all the information you need about websites or whatever as well. Okay, and of course, you can also go to our live stream. All right, and to our website. So hopefully everybody has this outline, Courage, Fulfilling God's Purposes for Your Life. And if you look at the outline on the very top, it says, Courage is not simply the absence of fear. And this is really important. It, in fact, it actually means acting on God's truth or promises despite fearful circumstances or thoughts. So sometimes we think of, of, of courage as uh, we're just eliminate fear. Matter of fact, sometimes I think that might be a very dangerous place to be. <laughs> you don't have one thought about what you're doing. No, no fearful thoughts whatsoever. You know, I suppose there's a holy boldness that comes at times, a special gifting, but most of the time we're Courage does its best work is when we're not feeling so brave, but we go forward anyway. And uh, that's a right definition of courage. That includes everybody, right? That includes everybody. So everybody can be courageous, and God expects everybody to do it. To be courageous, we're going to see through the Scriptures. The exercise of courage by God's people always causes the kingdom of God to expand, to expand. Whenever that courage of God's saints operates in our personal life and our corporate life, and the first thing is in our personal lives, and secondly, in the expansion of the gospel to the ends of the earth. So let's look at Luke chapter 12, verse 22. Then Jesus said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For your life is more than food, and the body more than clothes. Consider the ravens, they do not sow or reap, they have no storeroom or barn, yet God feeds them. And how much more valuable you are than birds. Who of you by worrying can add a single hour to your life? That's an interesting thought. So you think maybe if you worry a little bit more, you're paying a little more attention, maybe you'll get a little bit better break, or maybe it'll help the situation. But we're saying here it doesn't help the situation at all. Since you cannot do this very little thing, <laughs> adding a single hour to your life, God's house is a little thing. You cannot do this very little thing. Why do you worry about the rest? And he's purposely saying that, look, uh, I'm a lot bigger than you think. Right? And actually, I'm a lot more interested in you than you think. Consider how the wildflowers grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you, not even Solomon, all his splendor, was dressed like one of these. That is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today, 
and tomorrow is thrown into the fire. How much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? Do not set your heart on what you'll eat or drink. Do not worry about it. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your Father knows that you need them. And boy, is that true. And the world is just full of fear, especially these days. Maybe it's always been full of fear, but it just seems like to me there's more fear in the air than there ever has been in so many different ways. And if you don't have, if you run out of things to uh, worry about, just watch the news. They'll give you like 15 more to your list, right? So that's one reason why sometimes I have to watch my intake, you know. I want to be up on everything, but they purposely, you know, news is sort of an entertainment thing as well. They purposely don't want to say, get too boring or nobody will watch anymore, right? That's like a whole bunch of dose of fear to stir everything up and put you on the edge of your seat, right? So it's by design in a way. So you have to be careful with that one. For the pagan world runs after all such things, and your father knows that you need them. What is that? Eating and drinking and everyday provision. But seek his kingdom, and all these things will be given to you as well. You really believe that? That's really awesome. All these things. Nothing left out. That's one thing I found about Jesus. When you really know him, you begin to walk with him, he doesn't leave even ordinary things out. There may be a delay, but in the end, he doesn't leave them out. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has been pleased to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to the poor. Provide purses for yourselves that will not wear out, a treasure in heaven that will never fail, where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Now, there's an interesting thing about sell your possessions and give to the poor. Here's the interesting thing about that. If you actually do that, you actually begin to live this lifestyle, you find out that actually there's another scripture that kicks into place. Give, and it shall be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over. And so in God's economy of things, material things are little things. The bigger things are the kinds of things that he multiplies back, like happiness, good relationships, all the rest. But it also takes care of us materially very, very well. That's what I've discovered anyway, right? He just wants my treasure to be in the right place. Your Father has been pleased to give you the kingdoms. You can sell, you can give away, you can meet pressing needs, one thing I found about my life, and I've proved it over and over again, you can never outgive God. And He's interested in your little stuff, the little stuff, your car, your transportation, your house payment, your electric bill, <laughs> all of it. He's in. He's ignoring that. He's not saying this is all little pri- this is all tiny little stuff. But he's trying to get you to not worship at that altar. I'll take care of this. Let's go for the bigger things. Weightier things, things that are on my heart uh, for the whole world and for the real treasure, that is the spread of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I think benevolent people uh, get the world's attention in a way that maybe not many things do. But sometimes even that, people mess up and they make it into some sort of weird business or whatever, you know. I just like to give because it's a good thing and because it's clean and clear and beautiful. And I think there's nothing like our smaller gifts from all of us Christians out there sowed in the world that can, uh, there's no better way to see that happen and those sort of manifestations of God's giving. So the kingdom of God, God always causes the kingdom of God to expand two ways. First, in our personal lives. And second, in the expansion of the gospel to the ends of the earth. And this is actually, if you want to know what's on God's mind, this is always on God's mind. So if you want to relate to God, walk with God, sort of important to know what he thinks about, right? 
So he doesn't want you to get caught up in your possessions. He's okay with possessions. Matter of fact, he came that they might have life and have it abundantly in every way possible, right? But then Matthew 10 says something else, and this is really what's on God's mind above all of it. And that is, I'm sending you like sheep among wolves. <laughs> Better keep mowing quick, quick, before you get scared. Be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Wow. So don't underestimate the danger of the world. Be innocent, but I'm still sending you. I'm sending you. Be in your guard. You'll be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogues on my account. You'll be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Now, this is a huge manifestation, ultimately, of where God goes. He goes into every form of government, every high place, low place. He's everywhere. Whether you're in a low place or in a simple place or a neighbor across the street or wherever, the Lord wants you to know that he'll give you what to say. And he's interested in those people, right? And don't worry about that, what you're supposed to say. You don't have to practice your speech. Just be a normal person with that person. And don't be afraid in any way to express the hope that's inside of you. That's on his agenda as well, right? Fear was the main enemy of Israel's fulfilling the call to move into the promised land. And um, we see this through the Old Testament, and it's really, 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 really dramatic. It's like underlined, it's like the 4th of July, as you read uh, Deuteronomy 1, because you see God delivering this people from a very difficult space, a, a, a slave nation. And they're being delivered. He's actually taking them. He's going to make them their own nation, even give them their own land. It's been years developing, years developing, and here they are. And God wants to deal with them. So as he's dealing with them, it's very interesting because their courage in getting out of that place of bondage is very much a part of getting out of the bondage. You can look back at this Old Testament story and say, yeah, those people of Israel, how dumb they were. Man, I don't understand. how. There's God doing all this stuff. Couldn't they figure that out, you know? Oh, yeah. Well, how about your own life? <laughs> you know, we can say that about our own life, right? Don't you know that Jesus shed blood for you on the cross and he cares that much for you? Then what are you so worried about that he's not going to care about the rest of your life? I can say that with my mouth, but in my spirit, sometimes it's not so easy. Especially when something comes that's surprising or pain comes or things come that really intimidate us. And the enemy always has this way of trying to, I'll just put it this way, push our buttons. <laughs> and everybody's buttons are different. But nobody escapes from having to deal with sudden fear. Matter of fact, the Bible says, be careful. Don't be afraid of sudden fear. Because often when the sudden fear comes, unreasonable fear comes, it's often right from the pit of hell. And of course, our response to that makes the difference. And that's the whole point of this sermon. Our response to fear makes all the difference in terms of how we do, how we navigate, and how we get through life. So Deuteronomy 1, he's taking his slave nation. He says, then as the Lord... Our God commanded us, we set out from Horeb and went toward the hill country of the Amorites through all that vast and dreadful wilderness that you have seen. And so we reached Kadesh Barnea. Then I said to you, you have reached the hill country of the Amorites, which the Lord our God is giving us. See, the Lord your God has given you the land. Go up and take possession of it as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, told you. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Do not be afraid. Do not be discouraged. Now, this refrain is they're going in to inherit the promised land. In other words, they're about to get a bunch of blessing, but there's going to be some resistance. So he tells them in advance, 
Don't be afraid. Don't get discouraged. As you move toward the fulfillment of promises, it's a great word for us. Do not be afraid. Do not get discouraged because the enemy of your soul often will try to terrify you into not receiving what you're supposed to receive. And you'll do dumb stuff. And I'll tell you what, this whole Bible is full of people doing dumb stuff. <laughs> They're a record. We're just right there with them, too. Be careful how you read about these people. Think about them, you know. Sometimes you think, how? Oh, I wouldn't have done that. Oh, yeah? Oh, yeah? Well, we'll see. Verse 26 to 36. But you were unwilling to go. You rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. You grumbled in your tents and said, the Lord hates us. So he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us into the hands of the Amorites to destroy us. Now, if you look back at how he delivered them, this is incredible. He parted an entire sea <laughs> to get them out. <laughs> and so the Lord hates us. Hmm. If he hated you, he'd put you in that sea right there and with all the walls of water and then close it over and been done with you, right? I don't think he hates you. <laughs> he has uh, more creative ways to hate you, right? <laughs> if he really hated you, he'd take care of you a long time ago. The Lord hates us, so he brought us out of Egypt. So they're reasoning. This is what fear does. Fear does not ever lead A to B. It leads to Z, back to Q, R, all over the place, back to <laughs> T. <laughs> it never follows a logical place, right? The Lord hates us, so he brought us out of Egypt to deliver us to the hands of the Amorites to destroy, to destroy us. The Lord did all that deliverance, killed all those Egyptians, took all that time, only to make sure that he annihilated the Israel later, right? <laughs> Now, our thinking, if you just stop and think of it, goes the same way. God saved you. He delivered you. He healed you way back when. He did all this. And now it's come the time so that you will be annihilated, completely sick, die a horrible death, be full of pain. That's why the Lord delivered you. So I know that's easy to say for me at the pulpit. And today we're all going like this. But when we're in the middle of something, it sometimes gets very cloudy and very confusing. So I'm trying to help us understand that one of the most important things that we can walk with in God is be courageous. Where can we go? Our hearts have made our hearts, our brothers, our our brothers have made our hearts melt in fear. They went and spied the land, land, the land out and find out these guys are pretty strong. They say the people are strong, stronger and taller than we are. The cities are large with walls up to the sky. We even saw the Anakites there. Then I said to you, do not be terrified, do not be afraid of them. The Lord your God who is going before you will fight for you as he did for you in Egypt before your very eyes. And in the wilderness, and in the wilderness, there you saw how the Lord your God carried you as a father carries his son all the way you went until you reached this place. Lord, I pray you would carry people. I pray you carry us through the situations we're in all. I pray you would carry every frightening situation in this place in Jesus' name. I declare this. In spite of this, you did not trust in the Lord your God who went ahead of you on your journey in fire by night and a cloud by day to search out places for you to camp and to show you the way you should go. When the Lord heard what you said, he was angry and solemnly swore, no one from this evil generation shall see the good land I swore to give your ancestors, except Caleb, son of Jephunneh, he will see it, and I will give him and his descendants the land he set his feet on because he followed the Lord wholeheartedly. Wow. So they're coming to the edge of a blessing and no one's going to see it because of the fear. It, it offended God's heart to watch how he provided them for them all those years in so many different ways like he does us. And then just as he's about to release his crowning blessing, yes, and it looks hard, it looks difficult. By the way, that's a good word. Sometimes the best is right at the edge of the most fearful. You're on the edge sometimes of a breakthrough you can't imagine, but it's in the most fearful time. Why? 
because there actually is an evil force out there trying to steal, kill, and destroy, but there's Jesus who came that they get, we might have life and have it abundantly. So he tries to intimidate us out of our blessing. He tries to talk us out of our blessing with every kind of bad thought, every kind of bad omen, every kind of person reminding us of how bad the situation is, how horrible their life was, etc., etc., etc. And in our land today, there is fear everywhere. It's rife. It's tangible everywhere you look. What is your promised land? What will it take to fulfill the promises of God for your life? That is the question. And that is the great adventure of living, because all of us are different. It's going to take something different for all of us, right? Fear is like a highly contagious, destructive disease. You ever notice that? It's very destructive. Numbers 13, 31 to 33. But the men who had gone up with him said, we can't attack those people, and they'd sent some spies out to look over the land. And the purpose was to see how glorious and wonderful the land is, bring back some fruit, Hey, we got some great land there ahead of us. We're going to build some buildings. It's going to be great. We're going to have homes and permanent. It's going to be a great land. We're going to grow crops. We're going to always have enough. We're going to prosper. <laughs> so these guys come back and say, it's not so good. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they had explored. Be careful how you give a bad report to someone about their life or about something they're pressing into. Almost anything worthwhile pressing into is going to be fraught with danger. I said worthwhile. It's usually going to be fraught with danger. It's going to be fraught with resistance. It's amazing to me, even in the world, they're very, very aware of this. Some of the greatest entrepreneurs alive are the ones that just had the courage to brave it through. And we all, in our culture, admire these people until it comes to us, right? And it's a high value in our culture to understand people who braved something out, who took a risk and stepped out, right? But the ones that should be stepping out, the ones that should be risking, are the people of God. We're the ones, right? Because there's a great big land out there, blessing, but God wants us to inherit it, but it's going to take a little bit of courage. And sometimes uh, the enemy comes to try to talk us out of it or steal or kill or destroy. This is, here's this word. And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they'd explored. Can I just encourage you all, if someone has courage and they're stepping into something, be careful about how you treat their idea or their thought. Be careful how you handle it. It may not look good to you from the bleachers. Be careful how you give them a bad report. Be careful how you speak to them. Because I don't know what you're, you know, it might be, sound to you like the craziest idea in the world, but the craziest ideas in the world have become some of the most incredible inventions it's the most incredible things we've ever seen. I never dreamed that we would have a warehouse for the poor, for the weak, in the middle of Laguna Niguel. In my wildest imaginations, I never thought that we would ever do such a thing, a thrift store in the middle of Laguna Niguel. <laughs> Thank God for the recession and the loss of all our tenants. And I'm looking around thinking, well, I've always wanted to help the poor. Okay, fine, we'll just put a table out in this 50,000 square foot warehouse, see what happens. <laughs> Put it out there. We discovered it by, a, by accident. God really liked that idea. He really liked it a lot. And it kept blowing on and blowing on. The recession kept lingering and lingering. And that lovely tenant I was looking for to fill that 50,000 square feet and over showed up. And as months went into years, I kind of liked the idea of the thrift store a little bit better. I thought, hmm, this isn't so bad. Besides, Mother Teresa said something about this. She said, look, see, and do something about it. Okay, fine. Okay. So I kind of got used to the idea over time with a gun to my head, but I got used to it. 
And they spread among the Israelites a bad report about the land they explored. They said, the land we explored devours those living in it. All the people we saw there are of great size. We saw the Nephilim there, the descendants of Anak, come from the Nephilim. We seemed like grasshoppers in our own eyes, and we looked the same <laughs> to them. Boy, they had it bad. <laughs> Listen to this. That night, all the members of the community raised their voices and wept aloud. All the Israelites grumbled against Moses and Aaron, and the whole assembly said to them, if only we had died in Egypt or in this wilderness. And I shouldn't even be mocking them. I'd be the same way. I'd be right there doing it, the whole of them, I'm sure. It's not, it's scary. Them are nice, but they're out in the middle of the desert. There's snakes and all kinds of crazy stuff out there. Why is the Lord bringing us to this land only to let us fall by the sword? Our wives and children will be taken as plunder. Wouldn't it be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to each other, we should choose a leader and go back to Egypt. We're getting rid of this guy. Then Moses and Aaron fell face down in front of the whole Israelite assembly gathered there. Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, were among those who had explored the land, tore their clothes, and said to the entire Israelite assembly, The land we pass through and explore is exceedingly good. If the Lord is pleased with us, he'll lead us into that land, a land flowing with milk and honey, and will give it to us. If the Lord is pleased with us, if Jesus Christ shed blood for you, died for you, made provision for you to be with him, and when you believe you become his child, I'll tell you what, uh, I think he's pleased with you. Amen. It costs him too much not to be pleased with you. If you spend a ton of money on something very expensive, the thing better be pleasing to you, right? Yeah. <laughs> Only do not rebel against the Lord and do not be afraid of the people of the land because he, we will devour them. Then he starts getting into really faith mode, right? Their protection is gone. Wow. That is highly significant. Greater is he that is in you than he is in the world. They may make a lot of noise and roar and laugh and scream at you, but their protection compared to Jesus in you is gone. Right? So it's just a matter of when we do the will of God, especially we do something scary or we move out, their protection is gone. Yes, but the Lord is with us. Do not be afraid of them. Do not be afraid of them. I love these verses so much. And then look at verses 36 to 38. So the men Moses had sent to explore the land who returned and made the whole community grumble against him. See, only two of them had a good report. The other ten said, these guys are too big for us. By giving a bad report about those men who were responsible for spreading the bad report about the land were struck down and died of a plague before the Lord. Wow. So God says, you know, I have something I need to do, and I want to use you to do it. And somebody says, okay, I'll do it. And then somebody else says, no, nah, you can't do that. No, you can't do that. Beware of what you get in the way of, especially if it's something for God's kingdom, God's sake, right? Well, the men who went to explore the land, only Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Jephunneh, survived. They're the only ones, by the way, that gave a good report. I think this is on God's mind, isn't it? Fear is like a highly contagious, destructive disease, isn't it? Courage manages fear and does not let it spread in our heart. Courage overcomes fear by standing in faith on God's truth and promises until the answer well as we read these verses. I love some of these verses in Hebrews so much because it's the New Testament explaining the blunders that the Old Testament people made, right, some, in some ways. So look at the Hebrews 10, 35. It says, so don't throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. Now, God just loves confidence. He loves faith. He likes it when you're hanging out there trusting and believing. And he just got to get used to that about God. 
He likes it when we have to depend, depend on him. And he likes the confidence, especially when, you know, things aren't going so well. But here's the key word. It will be richly rewarded. You need to, that's why you got to be careful how you deal with other people's confidence. Be careful. That may not be your, you know, cup of tea. That may not be your vision or the way you would do it or maybe silly to you. But if it's important to them and they feel they have something from God they're supposed to do, be careful how you treat them. Be careful how you help them and encourage them and, and discourage them as, as well. So don't throw away your confidence as you'll be rich reward. You need to persevere. Ah, so courage has a persevering part to it. So that when you've done the will of God, you'll receive what he has promised. So what we like is magic. But in the kingdom, perseverance is a really critical word for faith. Perseverance. So, so many of us find ourselves in this place. I think it's better that we just sort of get used to it. <laughs> if you're going anywhere worthwhile, it's going to take some perseverance. And people do this in the world all the time just for money. They'll do anything. You know, persevere and fight and... We, we know about those sort of, and we applaud them, right? But what about for God's stuff? Do you have to persevere for that? Yeah, I would say so, because the enemy hates God's stuff. The thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy, right? But I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So the enemy is trying to steal, kill, and destroy every dream that you got. Don't let him take it. Any talent or ability, do not let him steal it. Oh, sometimes he'll steal it in the most amazing religious way. <laughs> Have you ever noticed the enemy can play the game and steal prosperity and grace and ministry and gifting from you and give it every kind of good reason why it should be stolen? Make it look so good and so holy, this is the reason why I'm losing this or missing this, right? <laughs> it's amazing. I mean, I've seen people fall for that. You know, the enemy is so smart. He doesn't just give like this bold. He, he, he puts little dresses up, his little hooks, you know, with little dressing so you'll bite down on it, right? For in just a little while he was coming, will come, and will not delay. And my righteous, but my righteous one will live by faith, and I take no pleasure in the one who shrinks back. That's a warning. But we do not belong to those who shrink back and are destroyed, but to those who have faith and are saved. Who's dealing with cancer here today? If you're dealing with cancer, would you have the courage to raise your hand? Stand up. Would you have the courage to stand up today? I heard that in my stand up wherever you are. If you raise your hand, stand up. If you're dealing with cancer. Stand up. I heard it in my other ear, guys. Stand up. Stand up. Whoever's near you, just put a hand on them. And I heard this other, my other ear inside. Lord, in the name of Jesus, be healed of cancer. May God bless you. May God reveal his healing anointing to you. May he bless you. May he deliver you from every form of cancer. God, in the pray in the name of Jesus, that everyone standing here, but get a good report in Jesus' name from the Lord. A good report and a good report from the doctors as well. I pray you help them to know the prime and procedure, medically or not medically, what they're supposed to do. And I pray you'd bless them in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. We'll keep on going here. So look at C2 on your outline. There's also a love from the Father that supernaturally drives out fear. Did you know that? There's something from God. God brings love to cast out fear. He brings attention like we would if we try to comfort, you know, one of our children or something. And it's so important to understand this. And if anyone acknowledges uh, that Jesus is the Son of God, God lives in them and they in God. And then he says this very interesting thing. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. 
Now that God understanding is not just, uh, okay, I know that God's for me and I know that theoretically he died for me on the cross and he proved it and so on. It's more than that. So one thing we talk a lot about here is the spirit of love. Like we would say, the spirit responds to faith or gives faith. Say it that way. The spirit loves to reveal the word of God. He brings uh, intuition. He brings discernment, revelation. But the spirit also brings love. That's why you can rely on love. And this is one of the greatest discoveries of my whole life, that the spirit of God brings love. In other words, comforts me, encourages me, brings love. And so we know and rely on love. God is love. Whoever lives in Love lives in God and God in them. When you feel the love of God on you, you can jump over high mountains in a single bound. <laughs> you know? Faith goes so far, but when you put love with the faith to go do something, it's very, very powerful. That inner voice on the inside of you. You can do it. You're going to be okay. Don't worry. You're going to be okay. This is how love is made complete among us so that we'll have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. And here's the key thing. There is no fear in love. But perfect love, guess what? Drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment or, hey, I made a mistake or I'm not going to do right. Or, I'm, I, I'm doing the wrong thing or God's going to get me no, or, or whatever. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. And we love because he first loved us. So fulfilling God's purposes for your life, if it takes courage, I'm telling you, when love comes, when you feel the love of God in your heart, when you feel the presence of God and love in your heart, you'll be a lion. Willpower is great. and Sometimes that's all I got left in the tank, right? <laughs> Just do what I'm supposed to do. But love fills my tank, makes me more courageous because perfect love casts out fear. When I know that God loves me, has me. It's important. And I'm not so worried about making mistakes either. Matter of fact, one of the best forms of parenting, I think, is to give our kids room to make mistakes. But making sure all the way through we're loving them, encouraging them, right? You're modeling something from the Father. That's what He does. Sometimes we even make mistakes, and God even lets us make mistakes so He can rescue us with His love, show us even a better way, and give us affection, right? It's just so, so important. These passages are so powerful with regard to courage. And uh, I didn't know for many years, I've told you for many years, until I washed up on the shore of Mission Viejo Vineyard and the vineyard itself, and I realized uh, something wonderful. I realized that the love can be had through the power of the Spirit. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves. Fear will always make you a slave so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship, and by him we scream, we yell, Abba, Daddy! The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children, and people that got that kind of love in them are risk-takers. These kind of people, you know, love children the same way. You know, they're sort of bold. You know, love children, truly love children. They step out, you know, especially in their family. And loving fathers and mothers keeps, hey, go ahead, you can do it, you can do it, you can do it. Maybe some of us didn't have such great fathers or mothers, and all we heard was the, better careful, you can't do that, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that, right? It's just the way, other way with God's sort of parenting. At least I've found that. What shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, then like, who could be against us? <laughs> That's a good word, right? 
He did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? Good things. Graciously, by the way. If he gave you Jesus, how hard is it for you to give you other things? And he gave you, make no mistake about it, he gave Jesus to you and to me. He gave Jesus for you, not just a whole bunch of people, but for us personally. So if he's that gracious for that, his only son, let it be crucified, die a hideous death for you, and put the sins, your sins, on him, then you know what? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it, God who it is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is interceding for us. He's praying for you. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness? As written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered a sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor bad politicians nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. We are inseparable from the King of the universe, the one that really calls the shots in this earth and really wants to use us. That's the other secret in this earth to be his leaven, to be his light. If the work, world is dark, he wants to use us to bring it. That's the whole thing. He doesn't want to be, shine just a big flashlight from heaven. He already did that. It's called the sun. But the rest of the darkness, he uses us to push back the darkness. We're the light of the world. We're the salt of the earth, right? We just need to act like him. The thing is, you don't understand that unless you believe that he's the light in your own life. Unless you hear that voice and feel his presence and he shines your light in your heart, then you can be very, very bold. Unbridled fear has this habit of destroying your life. Job 3.25 said something interesting. What I have feared has come upon me. What I dreaded has happened to me. Fear attracts bad things, Right? What I feared has come upon me. Sometimes when there's enough fear in your heart and your atmosphere, you actually attract negative things. Demons love fear. They feed on it. That's why you got to be careful about how you manage your life, right? The yes, there are real live angels and real live demons. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. What brings the life in abundance? It's courage. It's faith in the one that loves us, that loves us so much that he died for us, right? Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6. And without faith, it's impossible to please God. Whoa! <laughs> without taking risks, it's impossible to please God. So I can use Jesus' word, faith. When you stepped into Jesus, when you gave Jesus your heart, you took a risk. When you really did it, you took a risk. You stepped into something new, right? The very beginning, when you started, it was a risky business to you. And everything else, and ever, ever since of spiritual progress from that point, sometimes is risky, right? And here we worship this God. It's impossible to please God without faith. And we can't wonder why he keeps putting us in these compromising positions. Because it's impossible to please him without faith. And the compromising positions puts us in a place to grow in faith because it pleases him. He likes it. He likes us to be like him, afraid of nothing, right? <laughs> Easy to say amen. 
until you go face that thing that tries to knock your block off, right? Without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. What a great verse. Look down at verse 8. By faith, Abraham, when called to a place he would later receive his inheritance, obeyed and went, even though he did not know where he was going. Some of you have inheritances, things you're supposed to do on this earth, and you may not know exactly where you're going. You just got to start heading toward it, right? By faith, he made, and we always want it all perfect, you know. Okay, you want me to do this, so what does it look like? Yes. What color is the paint? What's the floor like? Where's the bathroom? Yes. Okay. Okay. I'll go. No. There. Over there. In the woods back behind the over there. Go over there. Well, I don't see nothing. Just go. <laughs> right? Right? That's how it kind of works sometimes. Sometimes clearer. By faith he made his home in the promised land, like a stranger in a foreign country. You know what's clearer? It's broken, beat up people. That's clear. Go help them. Well, I don't know how. Just go do it. Go help them. Just do what you can. Go do it. Right? But we want it all clear. No, I want this all lined up now. Because I don't want to, uh, I don't want to, I don't want to make sure the neighbors don't get mad at me. I want the city to be all in line with this. I want everything to be perfect, you know. I want to make sure this is sanitary around here, for heaven's sake. And okay, okay, then I'll do it, right? I want you to just paint this perfect picture. But actually, like faith is a little bit sloppy. Starts and stops and confusion. And God likes the whole thing, which is a little bit disconcerting sometimes. By faith he has made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as did Isaac and Jacob who were heirs with him of the same promise. When you think of them in tents like, oh, what a glorious thing. They're living in tents. Look at these little sheepies around. <laughs> you go live in a tent in the desert for a while. See how, it fit, how you feel about it, right? For he was looking, well, there was probably some water. Yeah, go to the nearest river or whatever, dig a huge well or whatever. I got to get the water. This is not easy life here. Sandstorms and heat in the day, no air conditioning, right? For he was looking forward to the city whose foundation, with foundations whose architect and builder is God. Yeah, I love this. Let me read 17 to 19. By faith Abraham went. Listen to this. By faith Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. Wow. This faith stuff's a little risky. Man, he would embrace the promises, was about to sacrifice his one and only son. I mean, the promise was all about his son. He's going to have a son. He's got an inheritance. And then this thing is about to go under the knife, and he's the one that's going to do it. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. When things go south, we got the vision right in front of us, and it looked like it's going south. Oh, my gosh, Isaac's going under the knife. What am I going to do? That's part of faith. It's part of walking these things out. This is not for the faint of heart. It's for the strong of heart. But when you do it and you learn the ways of God, you learn, hmm, sometimes the safest place is not the safest place. I'll just take faith, please, and I'll walk in that. Yes. Abraham will be re Abraham reasoned that God could even raise the dead, and so in a manner of speaking, he did receive Isaac back from the dead. So the knife's coming down. He says, wait a minute. <laughs> Stop. Time out. <laughs> You don't have to do it after all. <laughs> Golly. Woo! Without faith is impossible to please God. We're talking about some serious stuff going on here, right? And we find ourselves in those serious things. If there ever was an hour for faith in the body of Christ, it is now. 
your world is changing dramatically around you. And if you wring your hands or you ignore it and you don't express the kingdom and move with God to where he needs us to be, with the voice he wants us to have, and with the provision he wants us to give to the world, we will be in the backwash of this thing. But if you want to be the head and not the tail, then you got to go along on this faith ride with the Lord because he will never forsake his people. But he likes faith. By faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. and They were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated, mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover, the application of blood, so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned, and so on and so forth. Wow. There's other Hebrews, Hebrew heroes mentioned in verses 30 to 34, one after the other. By faith, the prostitute, amazing, Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith administered, uh, conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouth of lions, quenched the fury of the flames and escaped the edge of the sword, whose strength was turned to weakness. I'm sorry, whose weakness was turned to strength. Let me make sure I get that right. Whose weakness was turned to strength. That's the way we go, isn't it? I was strong for a minute there, and now I'm weak. God, what am I going to do now? I'm trying to walk on water, and I'm sinking. Right? No, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. What a beautiful section of Scripture. All of those things. So, God's looking for present-day heroes, as we've been mentioning, right? So we'll look at verse 39. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised, since God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. In other words, all that was leading up to something. A great, powerful, redemptive, amazing plan that stretches down into the 21st century of what God had in mind for not only his own people, but the entire earth. And we're right at the forefront. And the plan that began with faith with these people continues on through the generations. And that's why Jesus says that my righteous will live by faith. We're just extending the same cause. Therefore, since, he says, we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. For the joy set before me endured the cross and scorned its shame and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So everybody, even Jesus, had to express faith. Everyone. But the reward of it is outstanding. Even eternal life, right? And conquering in the context of our lives. Evidently, courage is highly valued by God. So not be surprising that he lets us experience fearful circumstances. In fact, you can look at your whole life as a journey of learning to be courageous. 
I found this quote from John Wimber, the founder of the Vineyard Movement. I don't think even five or six years ago I would have understood this, but I understand it now better than ever. And because of where the Lord has us and where He's taking us, this is why you're always going to be hearing about new things. I'm stalking and walking right now. Some of you caught me walking across the land, across the street. I'm walking around, stalking, ready, moving. There's other things that we have to do as a people. And I pray to God there's never a time when I run out. Because <laughs> about the time I run out, maybe that's be the time I need to leave. But I just feel like all of us as church, all of us together, individually and corporately, need to keep moving forward in all of our own individual lives, whatever that is, right? Whatever God has for you to do in your job, in your home, wherever ministry you have, whatever. So this is John Wimber said this. He said this. I might read it twice. Um, I don't know if we have this uh, visually or not, but it's on the back of your outline. So you can read with me. The economy of the kingdom of God is quite simple. Every new step in the kingdom costs us everything we have gained to that date. Every new step may cost us all the reputation and security we have accumulated to that point. The disciple is always ready to take the next step. If there's anything that characterizes Christian maturity, it is the willingness to become a beginner again for Jesus Christ. In other words, to learn new things. Probably bad for a church to get caught in ruts. I think sometimes churches die because they get caught in ruts. They didn't know that they were supposed to increase, always grow, expand. They get sort of stuck with their success or whatever, yet the kingdom's not like that. The kingdom of God is always increasing. And I don't care how much wealth you've made. I don't care what kind of place you come into your career. If it's God's career, it's something you're stewarding from God, you need to move on and keep moving forward. We always want to reach this place of retirement, but with plenty of money, just the right climate, just the right government over us, everything. <laughs> How far have we drifted as believers when we think that's what we're supposed to do? We're made to be warriors. We're made to conquer. We're made to take territory in this life, right? We never were made to stay still. The disciple is always ready to take the next step. If there's anything that characterizes, if there's anything that characterizes Christian maturity, it is the willingness to become a beginner again for Jesus Christ. It is the willingness to put your hand in his hand and say, I'm scared half to death, but I'll go with you, Lord. I'll risk everything to go with you. You are the pearl of great prize. Now, the way that plays itself out in our lives is all different for all of us. For all of us this risk-taking, this sort of pearl of great price. But if you're walking close with God, you'll find one thing that's absolutely clear. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. Sometimes that's why we can't hear God's voice very well, or we don't feel His love very much. Because without faith, without stretching out, without reaching out into the community, without doing what we're supposed to do, it's impossible to please Him, right? So there's a faith thing that goes along with this, right? So the very last part, how courageous people respond to the uncertainties of life. Well, the first thing they do is they listen to God's voice. God's voice drowns out man's fearful opinions and wisdom. Let's look at Mark chapter 5 here, verses 35 and 36. While Jesus was still speaking, some people came from the house of Jairus, the synagogue leader, 
Your daughter is dead, they said. Why bother the teacher anymore? Now, wow, can you imagine? How would you react to that? Like he's kind of a controversial guy anyway. The, the Pharisees, you know, don't let this guy in your house. Don't let him anywhere near your kids. You know, this guy is really controversial. And somebody says, well, she's dead. What are you going to do about that? You don't know half of what this guy can even do. Overhearing what they said, Jesus told them, don't be afraid, just believe. So the guy let him into his house. That's all he did. He just let him into his house. I don't think he probably believed for a second that anything was going to come of it. But on the chance, he just let him in. Some of the greatest miracles I've ever experienced has been doing that. On the chance, just let God in. On the chance, just try it. On the chance, just take a step. This doesn't make any sense. I don't see how this could happen. On the chance. I would be a person like that. I'd rather be a person like that than what's always playing itself safe. Everything in our culture is telling us to take it, to play it safe. Everything in our culture tries to make us feel comfortable. Even that golden thing called retirement. You know, everything, a whole life. Can you imagine? And then about the time you get to that golden retirement, you catch a disease and you die. Does that make any sense at all? I don't want to be so morbid. I don't think you always die, but nevertheless, right? <laughs> notice in the word courage, there, uh, notice there's a word courage in the word encourage. Interesting. We desperately need other believers in our lives to encourage us so we can stay courageous and hear God's wisdom to escape our trials. So part of the reason there's a body of Christ and other believers See, you were never meant to walk alone. So many people walk alone. They even come to church as if it's a destination. It's like, like the barn for the horse, you know, or the garage for the car, right? But a church is so much more than the gathering of its people. This is where we all just kind of gather and kind of hang out and worship God. And, but, but, but the island has more than a beach, and so a real-life church where real-life people are interacting with one another is where the action is, right? So we need the encouragement that brings courage. Say, well, I'm pretty independent. I don't really need people. Oh, you're a liar. <laughs> you know how I know you're a liar? Because the Word of God says so. And he put the entire church together, and he called it the body of Christ. Amen. You think you don't need the church. Well, do you need your right arm? How about going without a foot for a while? How about your ears? Do you need that? And I don't care how spiritual you are or how many, whatever you do spiritually to the Lord, you need other people. You need a lot of them. And the more that you know and the more you're attached to, the more provision because there's always someone that knows someone. I've watched the networking that goes on churches and it's astounding. It's amazing because just the people right here in this room know so many more people out there who know people who know people. <laughs> Even just, let's just take it to the raw place there, right? I've seen that form of provision over and over again, but there's also the supernaturalness because we're actually walking and we're armed <laughs> with spiritual gifts, of prophetic words, prophecy, spiritual abilities to show mercy and kindness. All these gifts of the Spirit are like the weapons that we have. And they're all right here, and everybody's armed and dangerous in here, ready to release them. But how can you release them if you're not a part of the body of Christ, if you don't even know them? How can you experience their gifting and these dangerous weapons to the devil, but so beautiful for us, right? I tell you, even, I mean, for what I know right now, 
I don't know, maybe I would be in a different place if I didn't know the Lord. But just from the sheer place of like being smart about my life and having friends, friends help people in times of need. Just to put it that way. It's good to have good friends. There's a friend that sticks closer than a brother. If you try to live this life without it, wow, sorry about that. That's a pretty tough way to live. And here's an interesting thing. Not even how much money you have will never cover up what you need from other people. Sometimes the weakest person in the body of Christ has exactly what you need. The exact advice, the exact counsel, the exact thing, the exact relation, whatever it is that you need, and you don't even know it, right? Oh, my. The body of Christ means everything that implies in Jesus Christ. He just puts God in there with skin on, and that's us. And we're armed and dangerous, even the weakest of us. He likes it that way, especially the weakest of us. So nobody gets too arrogant. He hates arrogance. So from the most weakest, humble person may come your healing, may come a word from heaven that changes the rest of your life. He didn't make it so we're all shiny and strong up here. We have, the, we have people praying for people. There's, oh, it doesn't look so powerful to me. I don't know if I want to get prayer from that guy or not, you know. You know what? They're packing because God arranges it. He gives them weapons here. So in a minute, we're going to ask anybody who wants to come forward for prayer, and you never know who you're going to get and what they're carrying that day. Well, they don't usually carry that, but that day they might. <laughs> they might have exactly the word or the person to know or the experience or the healing or just something you need this very day. And God will make it so sometimes the weakest person you think wouldn't have much for you, because I know that because everybody's always after me to kind of wave my hand over them as if I'm God or something, you know, and have that. But I'm telling you the actions with ordinary folks. Amen. That's right. I mean, I know I'll say that and you won't believe it. But if you ever get to the place where you believe that, you're going to really understand what it is to take part in the body of Christ and be around people. I watch it every day of my life. I'm shocked with it. I'm stunned by it somehow. The provision that comes from a person, just an ordinary person who happened to know this, happened to know that, right? Or happened to just be praying and that God just used them to bring the most incredible or whatever. And they're ordinary citizens and that's the way God likes it because guess what? God gives grace to the humble and I know I'm looking at a fairly num large number of humble people here today. And if you're not humble, God will help you along in that one right? He has this amazing plan, right? Because what? He gives grace to the humble, right? See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. This is Hebrews 3.12. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So our encouragement keeps us from being hardened to the place where we can't hear God and we get deceived. We have come to share in Christ if indeed we hold our original conviction firmly to the end, right? Isaiah chapter 30. Isaiah chapter 30, verses 15 to 21. This is what the Sovereign Lord, the Holy One of Israel, says, In repentance and rest is your salvation, and quietness and trust is your strength, but you would have none of it. You said, No, we will flee on horses, therefore you will flee. You said, We will ride off on swift horses, therefore your pursuers will be swift. A thousand will flee at the threat of one. At the threat of five, you will all flee away. So you are left like a flagstaff on a mountaintop, like a banner on a hill. 
Yet the Lord longs to be gracious to you. Therefore he will rise up and show you compassion, for the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are those who wait for him. People of Zion who live in Jerusalem, you will weep no more. How gracious he will be when you cry for help. As soon as he hears, he will answer you. Although the Lord gives you the bread of adversity and the water of affliction, your teachers will be hidden no more. With your own eyes you will see them. Whether you turn to the right or the left, your ears will hear a voice behind you saying, this is the way, walk in it. What a great scripture. So in this particular case, Israel wanted to run and go the wrong direction. But he said, no, don't do it. This is not the time to go. Do not flee. Do not run away. Stay in this place. Don't move, right? How gracious I'll be if you just stay. But there's enemies come. They're everywhere. We need to flee. We need to go. We need to go. <laughs> he says, and you will run. And you'll keep on running, right? You will run, all right? Therefore, your pursuers will be swift. No, we will flee on horses, therefore we will we'll ride off on swift horses. Whatever you do in this life, whatever you do, do not let fear be the core of it. No matter how it masquerades, now how you dress it up, no matter how it looks, don't run unless God says, run, and then you go. And he was telling them, look, in this case, this isn't the time. You stay right where you're at. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to help you. They couldn't see how it would be. The army is too great. The pressure is too much, right? Courageous people approach God's throne of grace with confidence so they can receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. This is one of my favorite passages in the whole Bible. Hebrews chapter 4. What a wonderful passage of Scripture. Hebrews 4, verses 14 to 16. Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has ascended into heaven, Jesus, the only the Son of God, Let's hold firmly to the faith we profess, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses. It's okay to be weak. I'm not talking about being strong, like, you know, putting on airs. It's all right to be weak. It's just that in your weakness, you have to step in faith. Matter of fact, that's the colon prescription. We walk in weakness. Israel says, no, we can't go into the promised land. Those guys are too big. We're small. They're big. So, go, Right? Therefore, we don't have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way. He's talking about Jesus, just as we are, yet he did not sin. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Wow, so Jesus knows what it is to be human. He knows what it is to go through everything that we go through. Thank God he became a man, right? So he understands. He's able to help us in these spaces where we need the confidence. We, need, we don't feel so great, right? That's just the way life has worked. Life around the throne is full of worship, prayer, and faith in God's promises. Last thing, courageous people are also good receivers of the presence of the Holy Spirit. This causes them to be close to Jesus and to be very bold. And I just want to finish here with Acts chapter 1 and uh, some of the verses in Acts. Acts 1, 8. But you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. So he doesn't leave you without the inner fortitude and strength. That's why I spend so much time talking to you about these issues. And in my class that I run all year long called Life in the Spirit, you need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He's really good at filling you with the Holy Spirit. When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you'll be like the disciples. He says, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes and you'll be my witnesses. Look at the disciples before 
And we'll look at what the disciples after. The difference is the Holy Spirit filling you, available for everyone. There's a little humility involved in receiving, but I've spent our entire church life since we've been here laying a foundation of being a good receiver. You need to be a good receiver because you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Being a good receiver is where all the action is. You need to be empowered from the inside out. That's what the world doesn't understand about us. We are literally walking to the beat of a different drummer. We're not just crazy Christians, kind of a little gloony, have this weird doctrine. No, when you really run across one, we're filled with power. We don't want to just sort of influence. We want to take over. We want to move. We want to see men change, women change. We want to see our culture change. We are the salt and the light, but only because of who is inhabiting us. So we have to be weak enough to be able to receive something supernatural. And sometimes that can be very messy and confusing. But to be weak enough, like I just saw a bunch of people come up here. I love you coming up here like that. I'm hoping that our church is weak enough to receive the Holy Spirit. We've tried to build that into us, to be weak enough to receive, because that's where our strength comes from. In ourselves, we're nothing, but then the power of the Spirit comes. That's why we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the filling of the Holy Spirit, something that the early apostles needed after Jesus left. They needed that before they could move on. That's why we emphasize that so much. You must be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's where you get your courage, your strength, your ideas, your creativity, your perception. You are supernatural. But you can't leave the Holy Spirit out of the equation for one second. That's why the Bible says to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. But when filled with the Holy Spirit is supernatural. It's not like putting a good face on something and being moral. No, being filled with the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God's resting on you. He's giving you all kinds of ideas and thoughts, causing you to do all kinds of things you wouldn't normally do. Being aware of people, whether you're on the bus or whether you're in a train or whether you're driving in a car, whether you're walking down the road, you're aware, you're thinking, the Spirit's inhabiting you. Wow, what a lifestyle. It's a little costly, though. I read through this so nicely with John Wember. He understood it. The more you press, the more you ask God to inhabit you, possess you, what? Every new step costs us something. Every new step may cost us all the reputation and security we've accumulated at that point. The disciples always ready to take the next step. If there's anything that characterizes Christian maturity, it's the willingness to become a beginner again for Jesus Christ. It's the willingness to put our hand in his hand and say, I'm scared half to death, but I'll go with you, Lord. I'll risk everything to go with you. You're the pearl of great price. And I want to tell you, you can't do that without the Spirit of God on the inside of you, living and active, the Holy Spirit egging you on. And if you're open, he'll take you there every time. But it's the most rewarding lifestyle on the face of the earth. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. That's the first thing they noticed after this baptism of the Holy Spirit. And Peter and John, the apostles, begin to witness and share that, hey, these are unschooled, ordinary guys. They're not, treat, they're not acting like little puppets or they're not scared. They're not frightened of whatever we have to say. Guess what? They were unschooled, ordinary men. They were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Jesus had given them courage. Jesus was there and the Spirit of God on them. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing there with them, there was nothing they could say. This is the guy that they healed, right? A blind man. Verses 29 to 31. 
Now, Lord, consider their threats. Okay, so what happens is Peter and John get arrested. That's not good. Uh-oh, we're going to get killed for this? Peter and John get arrested. But then they release them. And guess what? Look at this. This is the church. This is who we're supposed to be. They come back. They got arrested. They're thinking, oh, my gosh, we could all get arrested. Now it's real, right? But what happens? They start praying. Indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people of Israel in the city to conspire against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed. They did what your power and will had decided beforehand should happen. Now, in light of all of this and the death of our friend, God himself, and the filling of the Holy Spirit, and we're seeing the anointing that's rested on him on us. Now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. You know what they're saying there? More, Lord, not less. I don't care if it costs us more jail. We don't care. More, not less. Only the Spirit of God can cause that to happen inside of you. That's the only way you can deal with the uncertainties of life. You need some hamburger helper, and he's a lot bigger than a hamburger. You know, God to help you. God with us. They understood it then. They finally got it. Okay, it's going to be a rough ride, but God's with us. Look what God's using us. We're healing the blind. We're doing what Jesus did. That's why it's so important that for a church to be filled with miraculous things and signs and wonders and miracles, you need those to keep you encouraged. God wants to give them and work through you. You just can't live with information and regurgitating over and over again without seeing the power of God working through your life and through other people. We are a spirit-led, spirit-empowered church, and we look strange many times to the world and sometimes to other Christians, but this is who we are. Now, Lord... I want more. I just got arrested. Lord, I don't care. Consider that threats. Enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. Stretch out your hand to heal. Perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant Jesus. As long as you keep doing that, we're fine. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken. God said, you know, I really like what you just said there. <laughs> and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit again. They'd already been filled with the Holy Spirit. They got another dose. And guess what? When you get filled with the Holy Spirit, guess what happened? And they spoke the word of God boldly. When the Spirit comes... There's a boldness that comes. Courage comes. And you begin to fulfill the purpose for your life. Lord God, just keep filling us and filling us and filling us. Let's all stand. Lord, we just thank you for the holy presence of Jesus in this place. I want to do something here with us. Then I want to proceed to healing and we'll be done. But if there's something that's scary that you're considering and you're not sure if it's God or not but you're just considering to do this scary thing and it's just got you a little bit intimidated or if you're just scared period maybe you're just sick maybe and you don't know how you're going to get well or maybe there's something else like that but but there's just something you're thinking about right and you just need the Holy Spirit to empower you to help you you need some boldness from God so it says here that they were all filled with boldness. So why couldn't God fill with boldness right now? Why couldn't he do that? If that's you, raise your hand. Now, God, whatever it is we're considering, whatever it is that we're uneasy about, Lord, I pray you'd fill us with boldness. Lord, we, have, we, we, we believe in the boldness, Lord. We pray for boldness, a holy boldness. Holy Spirit, rest on us. In Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, help us. Give us information that we need. And if you've already given us information, give us the courage to carry it out, to obey, to stretch forward, to do whatever you want us to do, Lord. 
pray we wouldn't shrink back. We wouldn't stop in the middle of it. We would pursue it with all our heart. We would let you talk to us as as you want to tell us what we're supposed to do. Lord, we volunteer to hear your voice. We just pray, God. And when we're weak, please have mercy on us. And help us not to run from anything. In Jesus' name, no matter what it looks like. In Jesus' name. All right. I want to make sure we touched everybody. But I have felt all the service this whole time like God wants to heal people. I felt that earlier... And I, I just want our healing teams to come up to the front. And uh, we're going to pray. Don't worry if it's an ordinary person praying for you. You don't need anybody but Jesus. But sometimes these ordinary vessels, they're actually exercising courage to pray for you. You would be shocked to see how the power of God comes through them. You would be absolutely shocked. Oh, I don't want to go up in the front. I'm kind of a stranger here. And these people, and I don't even know like who they are exactly. Precisely. Why don't you just take a chance on it and see what happens? Because the issue is that Jesus is here. And we're willing to pray for each other. And we're willing to be this humble group, little group of people uh, wanting to exercise great things for God. You give grace to the humble. And you, especially if you are threatening a life, you have a life-threatening disease, or if you're in physical pain as I speak today, I just encourage you to come up. But anybody who would like to be healed or or touched, I feel there's a healing anointing resting on the church today. I felt from the whole time through. Lord, I pray you would heal the sick. I pray you would deliver us from evil. I don't care how many times I've been prayed for, 50 or 100 or 10 or 1. I pray, God, you would deliver, and I pray this would be an atmosphere where the power of God would rest on us. Everybody that's threatening a life-threatening disease in the name of Jesus Christ, I break that power of fear off of you, and I pray, God, they would find mercy to help in the time of need right now in this place and in this time. Even if they're just sitting there, I pray the very power of God would be on you today as you take another look at heaven and ask Him to meet you here in this place. In Jesus' name, amen.